Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Taha Lokandwala, Deputy Personal Finance Editor. On the show today, we're going to discuss contrarian investing, putting investment trust into sectors, and how to use hedge funds to defend portfolios. Joining me today, we have Zayani Bat, Personal Finance Writer. How are you doing, Zayani? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. And we're joined by Hugh Evans, Chairman of the BH Macro Investment Trust. How are you doing, Hugh? Very well, thanks. Good to have you. Right, let's uh, crack on. So I, I want to kick off with the BH Macro Investment Trust. So BH is uh, Brevin Howard. Um, listeners might know that as a, a very famous US hedge fund. But why don't you start off by just explaining a little bit how the how the investment trust list in the UK works and how that ties in with um, with Brevin Howard in the in the US. Brevin Howard is uh, is based here. Uh, it's got a big office off uh, just off Baker Street, but it's obviously a global uh, a global business. The Brevin Howard Master Fund is its flagship fund, which is a a hedge fund of several billion dollars in size. And that hedge fund is targeted at major institutional investors, major um, wealth managers, where the uh, entry ticket is several tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, and therefore completely inaccessible to, to normal investors. And in, uh, in 2007, Brevin Howard launched BH Macro, which is a London-listed feeder fund into the Brevin Howard Master Fund. So it allowed normal private investors like you and me and clients of Investors Chronicle to buy shares, individual shares, in BH Macro, and then the investments were all consolidated and used to invest directly in the Brevin Howard Master Fund. And thus using this so-called feeder fund um, allows normal private investors to get access to the service and the performance, usually only offered to the very largest uh, investors. And so BH Macro, it's quoted on the main market of the London Stock Exchange, we are, as a company, independent of the Brevin Howard Group. So we have a, a, a board of directors composed of independent non-executive directors, of whom I'm the chairman. And we, the board, uh, act as the custodians of the shareholders' money. And we uh, form up to Brevin Howard as any other client would uh, deal with Brevin Howard and quiz them about their performance, about their risk that they're taking, and you know, make sure that uh, our shareholders have their very best interests maintained. Let's talk a little bit how, about how um, kind of Brevin Howard, the master fund, invests. Um, so kind of where do you, I suppose, where do you see this uh, fitting into a private investor portfolio? You know, the investment trust was launched to provide access to it. So how do you, you, you see this kind of fitting into people's everyday investments okay well i think the one thing that the the best analogy is um is a portfolio insurance you know typically people um imagine hedge funds you know they certainly if they did what they said on the tin they would be producing spectacular performance year after year regardless of what was going on in the markets and and actually as as you know history has shown that 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 doesn't happen but, uh, but what BH Macro does is it tends to perform when all other markets are doing badly. Uh, the, the traders 
within Brevin Howard uh, have a track record of having a performance that is uncorrelated, particularly to the equity markets. So, for example, at the time of the credit crunch, the BH Macro produced performance of 20% per annum when everything else was heading all the way south. So this is in 2008, I guess. Yeah, 2007, 2008, 2009, they produced 20% each year. But then um, when interest rates fell to zero and um, the, uh, we had quantitative easing, volatility in the markets sort of all but evaporated. And the company produced really quite flat performance. Um, it didn't lose huge amounts of money, but it didn't make huge amounts of money either. Um, but then last year, when, um, when the FTSE, for example, went down by 12% or so, um, BH Macro produced positive performance of of 12%. So when the markets go bad, BH Macro tends to perform. There's no guarantee, but that's the way, that's what history has shown. So how do investors, private investors, use this in their portfolio? They use it as a bit of ballast, a bit of insurance. You know, you should definitely not put the whole of your pension fund in something like this. But uh, but having it, having a bit of it in your portfolio um, so that when equity markets go down, uh, there is a chance that the positive performance from BH Macro means that you outperform the market rather than perform with the market or or indeed do worse. No, as a, the uh, I was looking at the performance figures. Uh, really quite interesting. We look at from 2010 to, to yesterday, and um, the total return on the share price for the uh, for the for the investment trust was thirty two percent, and you look at global markets, they went one hundred and fifty eight. But again, yeah, last year uh, positive when markets went down. So yeah, you can see that um, you can see that insurance argument there. I suppose my uh, my my question is, insurance has to be has to be worth it. Um, so I suppose how do we how do we pair the this insurance with the with the cost um, of either well your part of your portfolio doing being quite flat over a tremendous amount of uh, equity growth and also the uh, the cost of the investment trust itself well that's a very good question um i was thinking about this as i came over and i wondered whether i should continue to pay the insurance policy on my house burning down because it's not burnt down yet and yet it's cost me uh, several hundred pounds a year to insure it you know the fact is is that there are some risks which if they do happen are sort of so fundamentally damaging that that you it, you find it very difficult to to determine the proper cost and um, and it's interesting that you 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 touch on that because of course different investors have different um, ways of uh, of determining that that balance between cost and uh, and and reward and indeed over the last three or four years as the performance or when the performance was relatively flat uh, we had a number of wealth managers who having been very loyal in the past sort of finally decided that that actually um, it was time to to either cancel their insurance policy or take out a a policy somewhere else and and so we uh, launched a tender offer to our shareholders and we said to to, to shareholders, and this is one of the benefits, of course, of of having a um, a closed end structure listed in the London Stock Exchange. Investors can get their money back, um, 
hopefully relatively close to net asset value. And so we launched a tender offer in uh, in 2016. And when the results of that came through, approximately half the company's shareholders took their money and left. But oh, sort of 52%, in fact, stayed with us and, and now are still with us, um, having sort of reaffirmed their support and their commitment to to this particular product so the balance you know i i can't say how you determine the balance everybody does what they sort of feel instinctive is is right for them but i have to say you know at the end of last year for example when markets were looking a little rocky and they were getting quite volatile um this is definitely the the discount to net asset value of this stock closed dramatically, recognising that when there is volatility in the market, um, people are looking for safe havens. And in particular, they're looking for somewhere um, that, that might perform if the markets go down rather than something that will just stay flat. But yes, if you, if, if you were to tell me that with QE and uh, and interest rates, if you told me that interest rates were going to be zero for the next ten years, um, you know I can understand that uh, that people might choose to cancel their insurance. Yep, that's fair enough. Um, Twenty sixteen was an interesting period for the trust. You, you touched on that, um, and you made some changes to the the fee structure. And uh, we'll go into this a bit more because I think. Um, well, a lot of the problem people have with hedge funds, um, as this is in general, and coming to the point you made about low volatility, where it's flat performance, is that they they were quite they are well they historically have been quite expensive. Uh, we've seen changes in the industry from pension funds lobbying for the changes to the fee structure and stuff like that. Um, I believe your trust was was kind of part of uh, the the change that we've seen as well. And you've got a new a new fee structure and governance. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Yes, and I think Brevin Howard were. Um uh, recognised that uh, when we did the tender offer, uh, they needed to do something, say something to shareholders to seek to persuade them to to stay with us. So uh, when the company was launched, we had a uh, a fee structure where there was a 2% per annum management fee and then a 20% performance fee. And that was standard at the time. And um, there was absolutely no question when the fund was launched, that that was the that was the rate for the job. Over time, as you quite rightly say, there has been a lot of pressure on fees, and uh, and so yes, from April two thousand and seventeen, uh, Brevin Howard reduced the uh, management fee to one half of a percent per annum, um, and with the incentive fee staying at twenty percent. And you know we felt that that was. Um, that was a very fair move for Brevin, um, but I uh, I have to say that if if you had if you'd got Alan Howard sitting here, he would be telling you that he's not making very much money as a firm now on on this fee rate because um, he has to pay his traders who get paid incentive fees and they may well get the bulk of any of the twenty percent um, and. If the um, if the traders don't perform in any particular year, he's still got to pay them their salary, and that comes out of the out of the half percent management fee. So uh, I think Brevin Howard would say, you know, this is this is as, as for a relatively high cost investment product, 
um, they would argue that this is as cheap as it's ever going to get. Yep, that's fair enough. Uh, although I would, I would stress, and I'm sure the listeners might have their tiny violins out for the uh, the salaries of the hedge fund traders. But uh, we won't go into that now. <laughs> well, as do I, as do I. <laughs> So, yeah, um, and this kind of leads on to the, the, the reputation of hedge funds. Uh, obviously, the complex training that they do, which we're not going to get into today, um, is fascinating, the, the currencies that they pair off against each other and, you know, shorting Italian bonds when there's an election going on, which I believe is one of the trades that uh, Bevan Howard did last year and really helped their 2018 performance. Uh, really fascinating stuff, but um, they, they, they have a horrible reputation, uh, uh, particularly, I mean... Pension funds deal with them because they have to, but private investors, you know, this is, I, I, I imagine, well, and having spoken to, to some of them, that they're not massive fans. You say the word hedge fund and that you can see them recoil. Of course, as you know, there are any poor reputation um, tends to be uh, generated by sort of individual occurrences, not necessarily uh, taken completely across the board. But yes, I think that um, hedge funds have had... Um, very bad press, um, some deservedly. You know, the, the fee structure, which we've already referred to, was very high. And um, and particularly when the performance has been poor, um, you know, a lot of uh, shareholders would, would have wanted to vote with their feet. Then there has been the question of liquidity in that um, it, they were very happy to take uh, investors' money when the going was good and... Um, but when the going got tough and investors wanted their money back, suddenly a gate was applied and you couldn't get your money back when you wanted to, which uh, which didn't create any friends for them at all. Um, and and sort of general transparency, you know, what the what on earth are these people doing? Um, and, you know, there have been all sorts of um, esoteric uh, examples of um, of stuff that some hedge funds have done, which which actually um individual investors might have thought well actually i'd prefer not to not to do that or to take those sorts of risks but bringing it back to to brevin howard you know ultimately a a firm lives or dies by its reputation and brevin howard has has been going now for a very long time it has maintained its reputation um it is certainly through bh macro it is pretty transparent in that we comply with all the rules and regulations of the stock exchange etc uh, there is liquidity for shareholders on a daily basis of course as an investment trust we are subject to discounts and premium to to net assets and last year the shares did go to a 10 percent discount but they're they're now sort of back to three or four percent um there was even a time earlier this year when they were trading at a small premium and 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 you mentioned on fees you know we have moved possibly slightly ahead of the pack in reducing the fees so bh macro is doing what it can in order to um uh maintain and and perhaps enhance its reputation and and hopefully over time um the those hedge funds who do manage to lose their clients 25% of their clients money in a single year you know possibly they will disappear off and and the companies like uh, like uh, bh macro which have they may not have produced fantastic performance but they haven't lost anybody a significant amount of money um over the years which uh, which is a lot better than some no oh, absolutely great thank you very much you 
Uh, right, so we're going to uh, move on to talk about contrarian investing. Uh, Ziana, you've been uh, looking at this this week uh, with a uh, wonderful feature in the magazine. Um, but let's start with, um, I suppose, you know, let's, why don't we start with explaining the theory of contrarian investing? Sure. So the idea behind contrarian investing is basically to look at parts of the market which are unloved or ignored um, and invest in stocks that are currently out of favour and therefore price low. And the idea is that contrarian investors believe that these companies are price low because they think the market overreacts to both bad and good news. And it's not a true reflection. Any short-term movement in the company's share price is not a true reflection of its kind of long-term potential. Um, so simply put, it's kind of buying when others are selling and selling when others are buying. Okay. Um, any, uh, I suppose we've got some quite famous people, uh, <laughs> household names, I suppose, that, that have done this. Um, have you got any examples of stocks where this has worked well, where the market's overreacted to something, but then the, eventually over time the share price has come back and people have made quite a bit of money? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned famous people, there's obviously Warren Buffett. Um, but here in the UK, there's Neil Woodford, who kind of he's made his name in contrarian investing um, up until recently. He's done quite well with it. Indeed, yes. We, we discussed that on this podcast quite a lot. But. We did. Um, so in the 1990s, he kind of made his name by not buying into the tech stocks at the time, um, and he, despite being put under a lot of pressure to do so. So um, he bought into tobacco stocks instead, which at the time were quite unloved, obviously, because of the um, cigarettes kill. Um, but what he realised is that people are not going to stop smoking, which they still haven't. And that he noticed that also tobacco companies were targeting risingly affluent population in emerging markets. Um, and that's kind of how he did really well. I suppose, what, what, what are the benefits? How, how do investors beat the market by, by doing this? Well, obviously, the first benefit is that once the market reevaluates and kind of companies are valued higher, um, there's potential to generate really high returns. And um, the second is that it can really help diversify your portfolio so you're not, your income's not restricted to certain areas, which if they fall, makes your income falls too. Investors can beat the market by finding companies which have an intrinsic value to them. So it could be either that whatever product or service they provide um, will come back in the future, like tobacco stocks did, um, or they'll provide something that which, which what Alex Wright at Fidelity looks at, which is they provide something that people are going to need in the future. But then, you know, guessing this isn't that easy, otherwise we'd all be doing it. So what are the, what are the risks? What, what should we be looking out for? So I guess the biggest risk is that you could fall into a value trap, um, which is that the risk that the market was correct and the stock was price correctly um, and the contrary investor was wrong so as the share price continues to fall and market share reduces you continue to lose money but it also requires a lot of patience because it can take a lot of time often years actually before the market can reevaluate. it also requires nerves of steel because um, you don't know whether the manager of the fund is just following kind of is actually failing or whether the, his strategy of um, waiting till the mar- the company does better is working. No, it's a fair point. Yeah, I suppose you have to just have faith in that in that sense. Um, so you mentioned fund managers. Have you uh, you got any favourites? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, um, Alex Wright from Fidelity Special Special Situations. So his strategy kind of is fourfold. So he looks at companies that um, are either turnaround businesses, so they're doing badly but there's a chance that new management might come in and and turn things up um they're either unrecognized growth companies uh or hidden jewels so basically businesses which have the potential to do well but the market hasn't recognized it yet 
um, and finally takeover targets. He's done really well with that. To quote some figures, his his fund recently returned 41% versus 34% rise in the FTSE or share index. That was uh, over how long, sorry? Oh, that's since his tenure began, which okay. I'm cool. not sure the exact date of that. I believe it was 2014, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, also, Louise Keeling from RWC Global Horizon. So she's quite interesting. She looks at companies who have improving returns on capital um, in industries or sectors where the capital is being withdrawn. She also looks at companies that are trading at 50% less than their intrinsic value because she kind of considers um, their enterprise value and their free cash flow instead. And um, she's also doing quite well. Um, She's returned 73% versus 69% for the MSCI AC World Index. Cool. Thanks very much. So uh, interesting insight into contrarian investing. And uh, head to the magazine, the website, for more on Zayani's feature about that with some other fun tips as well. All right. So I mentioned earlier we were going to talk about um, investment trust and sectors. And the, the reason being is that the AIC, the Association of Investment Companies, which is the trade body for investment trusts, has recently announced some changes to its sector definitions, uh, created some new sectors. Um, the, the reason for this is that there were some kind of funds being grouped together that weren't the same thing and it's kind of easier to split that out. So Asia has been split into three sectors. Property in the UK has been split into three sectors. We, we use the IC sector averages um, as benchmarks to see which fund managers are kind of beating their peers and things like that. But um, Hugh, as chairman of the Investment Trust, what are, your, what are your thoughts on the changes from the AIC there? Well, thank you, uh, Taha. The, I think it's a very interesting move by the AIC. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, I sit on three investment company boards, each of which is a member of the AIC, and um, they service as a trade body extremely well. Obviously, I'm not a spokesman for the AIC. But from, as I understand it, this was a regular periodic review. This is something that the AIC do every couple of years, just to make sure that sort of everything is is up to date. The sector the investment company sector continues to grow. Um, I think the most recent statistics was there was £190 billion invested in the sector at the end of April. And um, despite the sort of ups and downs of the the UK stock market, um, funds continue to be raised. Capital still continues to be raised on the stock market. So last year, for example, um, they raised £7.5 billion was raised by investment companies on the London market. And this year, £2.5 billion has been raised. So everything's sort of going very well in the investment company sector. However, it's interesting um, to note that all this money that's being raised is all being raised in the so-called alternative space. It is not long-only UK equities anymore, um, but it's all in property, private equity, debt, infrastructure, royalties is a new one that's come along quite Indeed, recently. Yeah, very niche, uh, but quite popular space, it seems. You're absolutely right. And and that's why, um, that's one of the reasons underlying this, this creation of the new categories. So, whereas for BH Macro, which was in the hedge fund sector before, remains in the hedge fund sector, nothing has changed. For the newer companies, for something like royalties, it's a very good example. So royalties in the past would have been just lumped together with, I guess, other financials. I don't know where they'd have put it. But now there is a new sector that's been introduced, the royalty sector. And what that does is it allows investors to see 
that there is this sector of royalties, whereas, and, and indeed to see, in addition to the company that they may be invested in, that there are two or three others doing similar sort of things that they might like to have a look at as well. It'll allow performance in that particular field to be uh, analysed more carefully. And it sort of paves the way for, for the future, so that when more funds come to be raised, they will see in, in the alternative space, they will see that, that yes, there are all these, all these sectors and they can, they can um, compare their performance more directly with their peers rather than just being lumped, to, um, lumped with everything else. So in summary, it's sort of business as usual for the AIC. They've been doing this for years. But, but, but I think it is, is, it is a significant move that they are looking forward now to where is the demand for funds going to be in the future and set themselves up to, uh, to highlight the alternative space rather than sort of focus as they might have done in the past on you know, long-only equities. OK, the, the looking forward bit is interesting because I suppose it goes some way to address uh, the concern, and I, I mentioned this in the magazine this week, is that... Um, I don't. I don't know what the answer is, but I suppose the debate is that you you either create sectors that are too small that the average is meaningless. Like you know, there's going to be the UK residential property sector is going to have two or three investment trusts in there. The the sector average for two or three investment trusts is, is pointless. You can't you can't really compare one versus an average of three. It's it's it's, it's not, it'll be unfair to do so. But then I suppose the the opposite to that is putting trusts together that are doing different things and comparing the average is equally meaningless. Yeah. Like, I don't really know how to to kind of square that circle well now i think i think Ty, you're right um when you first start a start a sector there are going to be too few people in it um and but time will tell and uh, in theory of course you are you are absolutely right uh, but in practice you know perhaps in 12 months time we would have this conversation um when when it becomes clear that you know one of the resident in the in york in this case uh, the uk residential one of the funds is performing well and one of them isn't performing well it'll at least allow uh, investors to to focus on that differential in performance and try and try and ask why whereas if they were all stuck in a in a long list of 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 other sort of um, other property investment funds um, the differences might not stick out quite so much no, absolutely. Thank you very much, you. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. But for more on contrarian investing and the changes to the AIC sector, please pick up a copy of the magazine or head to the website. Thank you very much for listening and have a good weekend.